Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode number 44 of the Seat Struck Movie Podcast. Uh, today is the lovely June 22nd, and I'm here with my co-host, Quinn. How's it going, man? Hey, guys. Not too bad, Joe. Not too bad. Uh, definitely excited to talk about this one this week, but um, yeah, things are good. How are you? Oh, doing well, doing well. My uh, my voice is much better. I think the last few podcasts I've recorded, I've like my voice started off like just total ass and it's slowly marginally like improved. So, you know, now you're getting like the full uh, THX John voice uh, happening now. So uh, hopefully that's going to that's going to stay stay up. But otherwise, you know, doing well, happy, healthy, uh, watch a lot of stuff. It's been a while uh, since we uh, chatted just you and me. I think uh, I'm trying to think what episode it was. We last chatted together. Well, we did the Matrix. It was you, me and Steve. And uh, yeah, yeah, I can't remember the last one it's been, but it's a uh, Good to catch up. And of course, uh, as folks could tell, uh, Curtis is away this week. Um, should be back, though, with us probably this weekend or next time we record for our next uh, our next John Carpenter uh, series episode. Um, but today's a special one. Later, we're going to be talking My Canon Selection, which is the uh, 1961 musical classic West Side Story. Uh, but before we get into it, uh, let's just kind of get into uh, uh, our watch our watch list. What, what did we add recently to our watch list? Uh, Quinn, anything you've added recently uh, that you're looking to watch the next uh, little while? Uh, yeah. Um, so I had heard, I had read this article about, um, Kubrick, Stanley Kubrick and Mm -hmm. some of the movies that, um, some of his favorite films, a list of some of his favorite films. And one of them was a movie called, uh, Sporloos, which is, um, the vanishing. Yeah. And, uh, I had heard of it like a long time ago and it's, it was, it's actually been, on my list um for quite a while but it got lost um and so i sort of bumped that up on my priority list but it sounds like a really good movie um basically just like a young couple on vacation they go they stop at a service station and uh i think it's their is it their daughter that's taken or something like that yeah i believe so um yeah it's abducted and then uh Three years later, there's no sign, and then they start receiving letters from the abductor. But Kubrick um, named it as the the most terrifying movie yeah. he's ever seen. Um, it's actually, just- yeah, that that movie is actually the subject of this is kind of weirdly on topic, but the subject of one of my all time favorite film Twitter threads by Adam Naiman, who's I think a Toronto film critic. Uh, he asked. You know, what are examples of like truly evil movies, not movies in terms of how they depicted evil, how depicted or or thematic thematizing it, but movies that like something about them, like feels like they're channeling evil and like all the threat, all the discussion was specifically about this movie. And I've heard it's quite fucking disturbing. So it's a good selection. I'm, I'm really kind of cool to check that one out. So, yeah, I'm, I'm really pumped to see it. I think I'm going to force myself, just get my ass to sit down and and, uh, and watch it. But uh, there's another movie that I came across. I had heard of it before. I've seen it on uh, VHS in the past. Um, it's a comedy starring uh, Rodney Dangerfield, who I'm a big oh, fan nice. of. Love Dangerfield. And along with Joe Pesci, actually, uh, from the 80s. It's called cool. Easy Money. And basically, the plot is... To inherit his mother-in-law's colossal fortune, a hard-living gambling addict must change his unhealthy ways before they get the best of him. Um, Yeah, I'm pretty much just want to watch this just because Dangerfield was fucking hilarious and like some of his jokes uh, were amazing. And I think, uh, yeah, I think it'd be a pretty good comedy. It's got decent reviews. So uh, I added that to my list. I also added one more thing to my list. Um, today actually and it's a a film noir parody starring steve martin from 1982 and the movie's called dead men don't wear plaid (laughs) and it's a film noir parody with a detective uncovering a sinister plot characters from real noirs appear as scenes from various films are intercut so like you got like you know Humphrey Bogart on there and stuff like that. That's and it cool. kind of goes, yeah, it goes back to Steve Martin, but it was on the uh, incredibly strange films um, Facebook group, mm-hmm. and I saw a write up about it, and it looked kind of interesting. I love cool. like black and white film noir type of detective. I love all that stuff. So nice. um, I got to check that out. But other than that, that's all I have for this week. What about you, John? 
Yeah, I've added the three to my watch list. And actually, the first selection, I think, is one that, Quinn, I think you actually mentioned uh, a few episodes ago, which is Bunny Lake is Missing, the 1960 film, uh, sorry, 1965 Otto uh, Preminger film. Um, yeah, I've, I've heard really kind of good things about this one over, over the years, uh, kind of like a little bit of like a little, you know, deep psychological film, kind of, I guess, kind of in the same vein as something inspired by like Hitchcock, but something that I think people have kind of cited um, in context of kind of like modern psychological thrillers and stuff like Gone Girl. So I'm, I'm really kind of excited to, to to watch this movie because it sounds like a bit of a trip and, and some good performances in, in it as well too. Um, another one is a, uh, you know, Anthony Mann, you know, one of the great uh, Western directors, uh, this selection is probably one of, I've heard it called one of the bleakest Westerns of all time. And that's the, his 1958 film, uh, Man of the West, trying to kind of get on a little bit of like a Western kick. Um, I've been kind of putting off a lot of watching a lot of uh, John Ford's or, or rewatching some of the ones I've watched before. So trying to kind of get back into the swing of, of watching some of those, um, uh, you know, a, a great kind of uh, genre film that uh, I tend to kind of overlook myself personally. So I'm excited to, to check that one out too for the first time. And uh, another one's actually a documentary that came out in, uh, in 2019 called uh, uh, For Sama, uh, which is uh, directed by uh, Edward Watts and also uh, Wad Al-Khatib. Uh, Al and it's actually um, uh, Wad Al-Khatib, she stars in the film. It's sort of exploring the strife of, of Syria, uh, kind of leading up, which would become sort of the, the Syrian civil war, um, kind of from the perspective of her as a pregnant woman. Um, this one actually also won like best documentary at the BAFTAs in 2019. So I've heard, I've heard it's quite a, like an interesting and, and really um, thrilling documentary to watch and, you know, you know, touching on pretty intense subject matter. So really, uh, really excited to check uh, that one out as well. And uh, I should also note, Curtis was kind enough to leave some notes, not only uh, for uh, what we watched, but all the other stuff. So I'll just read out some of the things that Curtis has been uh, added to his watch list. So uh, the first one's the Michael Haneke film, uh, Benny's Video. And he, he says here, I usually avoid uh, director uh, Michael Haneke, you know, directed the 1997 film Funny Games, uh, because he's too bleak, nihilistic. But I was very intrigued by this disturbing film, which explores the concept of the snuff film, kind of touching on the like video nasty material that we uh, talked about recently. Uh, he says, a boy kills a female friend with a cattle gun while his family is away and has to deal with the consequences. Oh man, well, adding some disturbing stuff to his uh, to his filmography there. And uh, another one is, uh, the next one there is Fire of Love. Uh, this one's a documentary about two uh, French, uh, I guess, volcano volcanologists, uh, I guess people who study volcanoes and, and, and that type of phenom phenomena, uh, who are also a couple and filmed hundreds of hours of volcano, volcano footage together. Uh, sadly, they died um, while filming a uh, pyroclastic flow. Uh, the story is actually apparently touched upon in the, the Werner Herzog documentary, Into the Inferno, uh, but this one, I guess, is kind of another film kind of exploring the characters in, in more detail. So that's kind of cool. Uh, that sounds uh, like a feel-good time. <laughs> another another feel-good selection. And uh, the last one, I, I'm, I'm excited to add this one because I've heard really good things about this show. Um, under the Banner of Heaven, which is uh, based on a, a book by John uh, Krakauer, uh, kind of follows this, uh, I guess, kind of a like deep Mormon sect uh, and kind of follows like people who who went through that experience. It's sort of like uh, follows this extremist offshoot of Mormonism, where I guess it treats it's like women even more severely. He describes it as treating the women like in Handmaid's Tale. He says, I've been obsessed with watching stuff on this cult uh, since I watched the Netflix series Keep Sweet. And he says, fun fact, Louis Thoreau responded to my tweet, asking him if he's read it. He said, loved it. Oh, there we go. Cool. Got the Louis Thoreau bump on uh, on our podcast. You know, come on the pod, Louis Thoreau. <laughs> right. and, yeah. And uh, let's get into what we watched this week then. I see uh, Quinn. Um, I see you added Stranger Things. I also I don't know if that's you watched the new the new season or or yeah. I also watched it. So um, uh, do you want to get into it now or do you want to maybe go through some of the other stuff and then we can. Uh, uh, um, well, yeah, well, well, yeah. Why don't you start your stuff and then we can kind of just talk about the new. Yes, season. that's good. Yeah, so I watched a, a wild selection of stuff this week. I've just been on kind of a, a kick. Um, the first one, uh, we actually watched this one accidentally. Um, so my my uh, my fiance Natalie uh, mentioned watching as a kid the Skelliver's Travels like movie. It's like a kids movie, and we went to pop it on. We accidentally popped this one on uh, the 2010 Jack Black comedy uh, Gulliver's <laughs> Travels. Uh, it's not very good. It's it's insane because the final scene is a spoiler. I guess it's just the entire cast doing war and like singing it and like, you know, the, the Edwin star, like, what is it good for? And it's, it's absolutely ludicrous and, and insane, but um, there's a scene uh, where Jack back black um, putting out the fire um, in this kind of kingdom where he's this giant and everyone's small uh, urinates on it to put out the fire. That's actually faithful to the book. So if you've read Gulliver's travels, that's actually in there um, kind of focuses on the first um, uh, part of Gulliver's travels, you know, him meeting the Lilliputians who are these kind of small 
tiny people and it's sort of all these crazy hijinks ensue and it's it's pretty bad it's like a you know 2010s jack black comedy but uh i don't know good to just uh you know just turn your brain off and watch something it was kind of funny um another one i watched uh, was much different um of course saw crimes of the future recently so it was kind of had uh, david cronenberg on the brain i decided to kind of you know I, I haven't really watched a lot of david cronenberg's filmography outside of some of the couple of horror ones so I thought, why not? Why not check out his first film? Uh, so I threw on his uh, 1969 film, Stereo, uh, which is sort of like a, a mockumentary filmed exclusively at uh, uh, York University at the Scarborough, Scarborough campus. So you got like a lot of really good like shots of like typical university, like brutalist architecture and gray concrete slab buildings. And it's filmed in black and white and kind of shot with like almost expressionist style. So it looks pretty cool, but the story is pretty bland. It's actually just totally silent, except a, a narrative voiceover by Cronenberg. Uh, kind of almost like um like it's a film being filmed by this like fictional canadian government department on like kind of like weird psychosexual phenomena you know it's typical cronenberg it's like people are getting horny and having brain powers or something yeah you know it's in his it's in his domain but it's it's pretty um pretty bland pretty boring by uh, you know it's not like a narrative film like his other ones so it's it's kind of thin um but you know it, it looks pretty good um I, I i actually was watching it and when i went to start watching it i re i remembered that i was in a fantasy baseball draft so i had to kind of turn my brain off and, and do that but i i really enjoy the images and again it has like you could see you could tell he's a talented filmmaker even though the story is not really up to snuff um another one i saw was um 2020 documentary called uh, 537 votes uh kind of like an hbo documentary i can't remember the director but it's the guy who did um uh cocaine cowboys in the u it's like a miami filmmaker so it's like you know it's it's in his it's in his domain you know looking at uh, miami dade county in the 2000 uh, presidential election year where you know famously came down to florida to the recount in Miami-Dade County, which eventually led to George W. Bush becoming president. Um, it kind of really focuses on that presidential election year. So the first half of the movie, early January 20, 2000, is, is focusing on sort of the Elian Gonzalez incident and how, you know, that how that affected, you know, voters and, and their thoughts in, in Florida, you know, Cuban voters. So it's it, if you have never really followed that topic at subject matter, I think this movie does a good job kind of covering it. But I, I've, I've read a lot about it and, and listened to podcasts and stuff. So it wasn't really anything new. Um, but it's kind of you know surface level but i had a good time watching it it's also produced by adam mckay who's uh you know a lot of his stuff is pretty like adhd brained and kind of crazy edited so it's it's pretty exciting and, and kind of fun to watch uh but kind of a little bit light on details and uh, another one i watched i rewatched everyone who knows me knows i i stan paddington i'm a big paddington stan and so I rewatched the uh, the first Paddington movie from 2015. Uh, really good. I mean, everyone talks about Paddington 2. Like Paddington 2 is like the greatest movie and the best, one of the best sequels ever. But the, the first Paddington, I would recommend folks, if you've never watched it, like actually check it out before you watch Paddington 2 because it's a beautiful, charming, you know, very kind of like Wes Anderson style, like animated kind of live action film. And it's very fun, very colorful. I love the relationship it builds with Paddington and the, and the family, the Browns. And, you know, we see all the different personalities and, and he's a cute little bear and he's charming and it's it's funny as hell too i really like watching like nicole kidman as like the the main antagonist and you know her plan to kind of like you know steal paddington and like stuff him and put him on display. it's very kind of dark material but it's it's really fun and charming to watch and um, there's some really just funny moments too that i i totally forgot about uh there's a scene where mr brown is like uh, they're trying to get into a building and he's kind of all dressed up almost like a mrs doubtfire like 90s-esque like drag outfit and meets this guy he's like uh, try to like convince him his arms fake and it's like it's just it's wild like it just it's so fucking funny it's like pure like british like slapstick kind of uh um, skit comedy there like out of monty python it's pretty funny there um yeah, a really, a really fun movie to watch. Um, and also uh, watched the uh, HBO miniseries Chernobyl. Started watching it, I think, like a few months ago. Um, kind of got back into it. And uh, I was sick uh, a few weeks ago. And I was like, you know what? I want to watch this miserable, dark, dreading movie about fucking nuclear disaster in Russia while, I, while I'm covered in like seven blankets. So um, it was actually, I really enjoyed the show. Have you watched uh, the Chernobyl miniseries? Uh, Quinn? I, I remember when it came out, I ended up watching the first episode and it was fantastic. Yeah. But for no reason at all, I just stopped watching it. Um, I got to give it a, a shot though, because holy shit, it's so well made. I know it looks so fucking good. And like the it's first episode so really shows like the incident, what happens. And then the, yeah. the rest of so kind of the most of the series is focusing on then like kind of the, the aftermath and kind of the investigation. And, you know, going into it, I, I knew it was going to be, you know, showing like 
you know, how fucking corrupt the Soviet government was at this time and, and just the level of deception and, and kind of incompetence from some of the politicians. But I was, I, I really like coming out of the final episode, I was actually, I cried because I was like, I, I, I felt so powerful for the people that were in this like community, not just like the innocent people who were affected, but the people in positions of power who did do the right thing and did like understand how serious this was. It didn't mobilize uh, to really save just total disaster beyond what probably anyone who hasn't really followed the story would even believe like it's it's just there's you, you feel so strongly for these characters and and what they go through and i, I was really taken by it uh, this is probably like one of the best shows i've watched in god years on, on tv honestly it's it's up there with you know the highest of prestige tv so i i really was struck by it so yeah great show and then uh yeah as i saw in your notes also watched the the new season i guess volume one season four volume one i guess yeah I, there's gonna be the second half coming out in uh, in early july uh, stranger things the new season i mean it feels like it's been goddamn years it has been years i think since season three yeah. like it's three years these, or something like that yeah I, I, I watching it again i was like wow this is such a they really nailed this group of characters like cast wise it reminds me of harry potter where it's like they just got these kids very young and you know they grew up with the series literally became adults and and they're they're just great you know performers and yeah. just uh and the story is just a lot of fun too it's kind of like almost like a little bit of like nightmare on elm street a little bit too it's with its 80s kind of inspiration uh, yep. really cool stuff and an appearance well i i don't know if this is technically a spoiler but an appearance by robert england himself too yeah that's right yeah playing um, the old guy yeah yeah so that was pretty sweet that they gave him a shot um no o- overall i think it's a good it was a good season like uh i yeah, love that like i love that kate bush is like finally getting yeah, yeah. the uh, <laughs> It's like the, the number one song in America. Deserves. Like, <laughs> I like told my dad. My dad's like, I've been listening to that song for years. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah, it's like gatekeeping. It's like... <laughs> but like, it's, it's great though. It is good that like, yeah, that Kate Bush is getting the recognition she deserves for her music and yeah, um, pretty cool. I think some of the characters that sort of were maybe lacking uh, were written better for this season. Like, for instance. Yeah um max played by sadie sink i think yeah. she she killed it i think i think this is her best season yet um and, where that, ep- and that episode that if i say it people will know what i mean like that, yeah. what, a, what an ending i like i generally thought like the stakes couldn't be any higher like that was such it a was, thrilling thrilling stuff. yeah and it and it it made sense like I, I won't spoil it but it made sense that it could be the end yeah exactly for that character you know what i mean so um it, everything aligned and the villain in this um the villain is is fantastic in it the the, the one thing that i do have a bit of a problem with the new series though or a season rather is yeah. um is the fact that they like mike mike is barely in it yeah and like they'll split they'll you know the it's like they have this group of characters and this group of characters yeah now i know that it's kind of supposed to be like that because they're they live away from each other now and whatnot but like i'm excited for volume two to be hopefully more with all of the cast together yeah like tying up all those threads there's just it's balancing so many plates now i'm like we're, we're being smuggled into foreign countries now like what a, yeah. this show is really i take a bit of a uh, I know. you know a dive but it's 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 still really thrilling to watch like oh uh, it's, i think it's great yeah i mean yeah. i would you know i don't go i don't go into the show expecting like you know the sopranos level you know tv but i mean this is the biggest show now on like the biggest i mean stock shit aside still the biggest streaming platform like in in the, in the world and i mean yeah. this show is now like insanely huge it's it's hard to believe I, I initially i thought the whole idea of splitting into kind of like volume one volume two when you could just do like weekly releases and just own the discourse like i yeah. thought that would be that was kind of a silly idea but like this show is still like people will shut the fuck up about it so i mean it's they 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 really like uh hit it with this show and yeah. uh yeah it's gonna be interesting to see how they kind of uh develop some of these characters more it seems like the stakes are really high i gotta give them credit where it doesn't feel like characters have like plot armor and they're not gonna just like you know it's, it's like season eight of game of thrones where like there's a dragon flying over i'm like they're fine they'll, they'll make it to the last yeah. episode it's like a, yeah. i'm actually kind of invested so that, that's been kind of fun yeah um, it's good here's the, the only thing is though it's like <laughs> and and i like i i mean stranger things is one of my favorite shows of all time but like mm-hmm. the the one thing that drives me nuts it's like where 
where are the police? Like, why is it up? Why is it up to these kids? Like, like people are not even like freaking out that bad. Yeah, where's they're the like, FBI or the CIA, man? Yeah, the yeah, there's doesn't like, exist in... like, like these kids just get away easily from the police and like go do this. Like they go to this crazy upside down world and they can just like go explore. And it's like, you know, it's kind of like, like at least ET had like, like they were literally in fucking quarantine and like, they were kind of <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like it's one of those things, but it's like, you know, it's like, no, us kids from this small town in the United States of America has to change, has to save the world. We have to save the world. You're telling me that Bush did 9-11, but uh, Reagan government couldn't manage Hawkins' fucking strange phenomena. Like, come on <laughs> you know now. I mean? <laughs> There's I some bureaucratic the incompetence going on. Yeah, I always make the joke. I'm like, where's the fucking cops? <laughs> and then, then my wife was like, well, you know, Hopper's not exactly there. And I'm like, yeah, okay, I get that. But it's like, <laughs> but Hopper just holds the whole United States of America. And... <laughs> he's, he's a man holding this whole operation up. Yeah. Fuck. <laughs> But no, um, all jokes aside, I love that show. And I could not be more excited for volume two. But the thing is, is like, there's two episodes coming out on the 1st of July mm-hmm. in Canada. And uh, from what I've read, the first episode's like an hour and a half. And the second the second episode's like two and a half hours wow. long. So it's no, like, but still, they still have to cram quite a bit in, you know, like a three and a half, four hour you know, a couple of episodes. So yeah, true. it's going to be interesting to see um, how things tie up, but I am glad that we are getting one more season um, after this. So I think that will be for, and from what I've read, um, the Duffer brothers haven't told anybody about the plot, but they said that um, it's going to be like the craziest, like finale tie up to a really show. Trust, trust us bro watch and give us yeah. money. yeah yeah yeah, yeah exactly. so <laughs> i mean kind of weird to think of a world where like dufford brothers almost did this show as like an anthology series it was supposed to be just season one was just going to be the hawkins kids the second version was going to be something totally different and the show just blew up and yep. they've been following the story ever since so I, I would like to see them maybe kind of try to shake it up a little bit in the future but um, well i know yeah. I, I read somewhere that they signed some type of long-term it's like some decade deal or something with netflix so they're going to be producing more, whether it's like movies or more TV shows like they Netflix has kind of given them the the, the creative um, room to kind of write their own shit. So which is nice because I'd like yeah. to see them do even more 80s type stuff. Like I, I love all that. Yeah. So I, I mean, I'd be down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really cool to check it out, especially like I know with that whole Fear Street series that came out, obviously very inspired aping Stranger Things, but, you know, yes. kind of touching a little bit of different territory. It was a, I'd love to see more. I don't know stick that in my veins. That shit's fun to watch. So yeah, uh, for sure. I'll check that out. Absolutely. And uh, Cur- uh, Curtis also uh, watched some stuff and he was uh, kind again to lend some notes about what he watched. So uh, the first one he watched was a movie called uh, a lonely, a lonely place to die. It's about a group of friends who go hiking in the Scottish highlands uh, and find a Croatian girl has been buried alive. Oof. And in trying to help her, they get pursued by mercenaries and other parties, high stakes tension with the climbing scenes in the first half, but second half's a bit uneven. Although I loved the Bellatane fire festival scenes also on uh, the streaming service shutter. Um, another shutter one, it looks like you watched uh, demon wind. Ooh, demon wind. Uh, this is a very, <laughs> I just, I, the first thing I read, this is a very shitty movie on shutter that I watched with a friend drinking a bottle of wine, helped get through it. Uh, honesty is the best medicine. And some guy brings a group of friends to an old farm to figure out uh, what happened to his grandpa. <laughs> parents and suddenly they become trapped there and each of them uh, gradually becomes uh, demonically possessed i guess sort of similar in, in plot structure to to the evil dead uh but with some special effects in the later half of the movie that's kind of decent he says again worth watching with friends if you're hard up for entertainment uh check out demon wind on shutter uh, the next one he, that he has on his list that he watched i actually been mulling over going to see this in the theaters it's uh uh, Phil Tippett's Mad God, uh, which is also streaming on Shutter, but it's getting kind of a brief uh, theatrical run. I guess when this comes out, no one will have had time to see it. So it it, it was, <laughs> but uh, this one's cool. It's uh, it's a stop motion animated film, and uh, just to kind of give some plot kind of background before his notes, uh, Phil Tippett, of course, legendary stop motion animator. Uh, you know, grew up inspired by Harry uh, Ray Harryhausen. His kind of big. Uh, debut was working on Star Wars. He did all the animation for the AT, the at, at sequences in Hoth and all the creatures, the larger kind of uh, creatures, uh, like the Rancor scene and stuff like that. Worked on that. Also worked on many classic 80s films like Robocop and uh, 
you know, became kind of the king of stop motion. Uh, famously, when I told my little, uh, I think I wrote my little note story for Jurassic Park about the two teams, the, the special effects guys did the stop motion and the CGI guys who did the dinosaurs and the and the CGI guy won out. Uh, Tippett was on that crew, so actually also worked on Jurassic Park. And he's actually been working on this film for, for 30 years. He started working on it in the early 90s. Um, as his career kind of declined, you know, CGI was really blowing up. He kind of was like, nah, and kind of shelved it. But in the 2000s, started working on it a little bit more at the request of kind of his friends in the industry and then i think they actually created a kickstarter to finish the film so it's been kind of slow rolled but now it's all complete and in theaters so curtis said um some of the most incredible stop motion animation i've ever seen but too weird and gross to finish it, it finish it's a shutter offering and i'm still uh, not sure what the plot is but it's certainly a visual experience ah it sounds cool i mean i i saw the check out the trailer if you're listening uh, it looks super cool it's like just pure stop motion they don't make movies like that anymore it's all digital all animated so you know seeing people have the patience to like go in and and make those little like arm movements and stop and then take the picture and then do that again uh, for hours just to shoot like seven minutes of film. I mean, that's just pure like mad dedication to the craft of like special effects, you know, filmmaking. So uh, yeah, really cool to check that one out. And uh, another one that he watched, I know Curtis is big um, on his Westerns. He watched the uh, Paramount Plus series, uh, 1883. He says, this is a prequel miniseries to Yellowstone. Uh, on Paramount Plus about the settlers moving to Montana and Oregon, uh, the ancestors of the Yellowstone family and the hardships they endure. It's excellent and better than Yellowstone. Um, he says, but very emotionally intense and almost too much at times, uh, right up there for Curtis with Lonesome Dove as one of the greatest TV miniseries and a bit of a cross between it and like the Oregon Trail. Uh, characters die unexpectedly, plot twists galore, uh, gorgeous vistas, and we see the harshness and the brutality of early settled life uh, he says screenwriter Taylor Sheridan, who wrote Hell or High Water, Yellowstone, Wind River, uh, also challenges and subverts uh, the colonial legacy showing cooperation, collaboration, and respect between settlers and the Lakota Comanche. Uh, he says you fight like a Comanche is the greatest compliment one could receive. And to think he only writes one draft for his screenplays. Wow. Uh, Thomas becomes everything I wanted. Uh, Dietz and Lonesome Dove to be. Uh, transcending yet again, as he mentions, the kind of famous film trope limitations of the sort of magical Negro film trope of and etching his own autonomy and niche among the community. Uh, Sam Elliott, uh, as he mentions, is excellent as always. And Isabel May shines as Elsa, whose incredible journey to womanhood becomes one of leadership, fearlessness, and love. She recalls uh, Jennifer Lawrence and Winter's Bone. Uh, definitely, as he puts it, God-tier entertainment. And I much prefer this to Yellowstone and the power of the dog. Oh, cool. Because I know Power of the Dog was like a big hit for the Oscar season, you know, kind of a really, I feel like Westerns have had kind of like a nice little kick recently with some kind of fun Definitely. genre films and stuff. So, wow, that's some pretty big praise. I know Curtis loves Lonesome Dove, so I think I might have to uh, check out, well, Yellowstone and uh, 1883. And, and the last one that he mentioned watching uh, was the 1990 film Tremors, uh, you know, the classic film with like, I think like a gazillion sequels, <laughs> if I remember. Uh, yep. He says, my friend Peter and I, also rewatched this gem, uh, one of my favorite horror comedies in a 90s delight. Uh, basically, four huge men eating worm things called the Graboids uh, attack a small desert town in Nevada, and the locals rally together and fight back. He says, including a survivalist couple, um, Kevin Bacon and Victor Wan from Big Trouble, Little China, uh, as Walter Chang, who owns the general store. Uh, it's an homage to the 1950s monster films, while also uh, being kind of irrelevant and really funny. Um, and the graboid effects and the kill scenes are really decent. And he says, my brother and I hate station wagons. So we really like the one scene where the graboids uh, devour the car. Uh, he says, I think Michael Gross was in a ton of Tremor sequels, but none of them were any good. I vaguely remember there was one Tremors movie, if, if I'm correct, that takes place in like the, the, the wild west or whatever. And there's like cowboys and stuff. I think there's like one in the past. So I don't know. Yeah. That sounds like a fun one. I, I haven't watched the Gremor, the, the, the sorry, the um, the Tremor series in a long time, but I remember really being a uh, fun, fun, fond of that first film. For sure. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that's, a, that's about it for what we watched. Um, and uh, why don't we just kind of get into our topic? I know we've spent a lot of time going through what we watched and our, you know, we've been checking out stuff, but uh, was really excited to check this one out. Um, one that is, is one of my favorite films. This was my personal canon choice selection this week. And I selected uh, West Side Story. So um, but before I get into it, I, Quinn, I, what, what, when was the first time that you watched West Side Story? Because I think you had mentioned watching it before revisiting this film. Is that is that correct? Yeah, um, I saw West Side Story pretty late. Uh, I, believe, I believe it was like my early 20s. It was on TV one day on like AMC or something. And I watched it. 
And to be, I'll be honest, like I'm not a, uh, I'm not crazy into musicals so yeah. much, uh, just generally speaking, but there are some like, um, you know, I, I think I, for instance, I think the sound of music is very boring, but at the same time, the sound of music, the, the movie critic in me can't, can't deny that it's a phenomenal movie. It's like, you know, it's a classic. And I know my dad, he showed me, um, Oliver from 1968, when I was pretty young and that one best picture of that year. And uh, to this day, still one of my favorite musicals, if not my, my number one musical of all time. Yeah. West side story, man. I, I don't know. Just uh, I remember seeing it immediately having a soft spot for it just because I love New York films. And uh, I immediately loved the, the choreography and the sets and just yeah. uh, the music was good. Like kind of like Greece, like, it you know it's just it's memorable music and you know you can quote lines and it's just yeah so um that's kind of remember what i remembered um thinking about it when i first saw it so it was nice to revisit this one and, and show my wife for the first time she hadn't seen it so um cool. yeah we had a really good time watching it nice uh, yeah like i had watched this film I believe it was like in middle school because we did like a grade eight term uh, talking about Romeo and Juliet. And for folks who don't know, um, West Side Story is an adaptation, is, a, is another Shakespeare ad- adaptation. It's an adaptation of Romeo and Juliet, uh, mm-hmm. which we'll get into with the story. Uh, so watch it for that term. And I, I, you know, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was just such a thrilling movie. Um, but then I later rewatched it in high school uh, for, I think, another term talking about Romeo and Juliet, kind of like a go to film for like English. We're talking Romeo and Juliet or that one or the, the Baz Luhrmann one we, we talked about previously. Um, you know, this was kind of like the first time re- like watching this film where I really kind of became cognizant of the power like of musicals in terms of being such a great kind of visual and sound medium for telling stories. And, you know, most of my experience as a kid, I think like a lot of children actually grew up watching musicals we watch all the if you watch the disney canon you're watching musicals just animated ones and you know i grew up watching those type of films and also of course as you mentioned watching greece and and um, other films but i was just so enraptured by this film not just by the you know the top tier the god tier if you put it uh music dancing cinematography uh the performances uh but just it kind of in a way like watching this so young like it kind of ruined a lot of other musicals for me because I, I do appreciate other ones like as you mentioned oliver and, and you know singing in the rain uh you know any kind of gene kelly one is classic but i mean this, you're watching this and trying to go back to some of the lower tier ones it's like wow it's like hard to even watch some of those because this one is just so above it's it's contemporaries and i you know as i put it the film just whips ass i mean we'll get into it i fucking love this film and re-watching this for me i it went up in my standing and sometimes doing these like kind of canon rewatches where you watch your old like favorite films you're kind of like you're not sure if you're gonna like it as much and maybe it just hit a certain place in time in your life but you know re-watching this it's just god it's just such an amazing musical and visual feast um, of course, this is actually an adaptation of the Broadway musical, which came out a few years prior in the late 50s. Uh, it's a kind of like a co- contemporaneous adaptation of Romeo and Juliet. So in this case, instead of, you know, 1500s Italian families like the, the Montagues and the Capulets and, and Juliet and Romeo. In this case, it's the 1950s. It's the it's the white Yanks, the Jets, the gang of the Jets, kind of like a pastiche of like random European immigrants. Uh, as, as I put it, uh, you know, so colloquially, Polacks, Wops, stuff like that, Italians, all sorts of like Irish people, all sorts of uh, kind of early white immigrants that came to America in like the late 19th century. And then on the other hand, we have the, the Puerto Ricans, kind of the more recent uh, to America, uh, played by, uh, unfortunately, mostly just Europeans and people in blackface. Um, oddly enough, including Rita Moreno, who's uh, Rita Moreno, who actually is Puerto Rican. Um, she actually was also in brown makeup for the film, even though she's native Puerto Rican. So kind of funny. Um, that's sort of the one little wrinkle with the film is the way it does it. But I don't, I don't know. I think one of the things that helps this film kind of avoid being looked back more negatively is the fact that it is so obviously about race, uh, which you know separates it from Romeo and Juliet. It's so hyper-focused on, you know, the different experiences between the sharks and jets in America. I mean, I always knew that was part of the story, but like rewatching it, I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm much less touched by like the romance and it's just the world they live in. And this mm-hmm. certain kind of period of time in America of like these latchkey yeah. kids with fucking no parent supervision and they're all, damaged um like the g officer krepke sky i remember as a kid kind of like being like this is kind of a silly throwaway song but i kind of like like that song the most because it's like 
here's why I suck. My parents abuse me. They're alcoholics. And it's like showing how a society just casts these kids aside and kind of puts labels on them and sends them away or doesn't really love them or give them what they actually want or need. And I'm like, fuck, things don't really change, do they? <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was it was so fun coming back to it and like uh, really great uh, directorial efforts. Uh, Robert Weiss, who actually has done a lot of a weird genres of films. He's done, of course, The Sound of Music, did um, The Haunting, The Andromeda Strain, Star Trek, The Motion Picture. He's done like a lot of genres, but he uh, actually filmed this with uh, Jerome Robbins, but Jerome Robbins, when he was filming it, this film really blew up in budget and scope. And he actually got turfed and Robert Weiss to kind of finish the rest of the film, even though his background really isn't in musical theater, but uh, I mean, he did a great job with it. Um, and of course, music, Leonard Bernstein, lyrics by Stephen Sondheim. So we think, I think just passed away a couple of years ago, you know, very, very old, but I, two of the legends in, in, in kind of Broadway musicals in terms of making music and also writing uh, lyrics. And um, yeah, I, I mean, this, I guess we can kind of talk about the different songs in this film because really it's, it's Romeo and Juliet in musical form. So it's a series of like various songs kind of, you know, going through the plot. Um, the opening of this film with the Saul Bass titles. And I actually forgot about it because I think watching this in like high school, I don't know if this was true with you, but I think the teachers just like skip like five minutes ahead and like, yeah, it's, a, it's a long, like yeah, before, <laughs> show, before the show, they, um, the New York city skyline, it's like a super long intro. Like I kept thinking to myself, I'm like, because um, I had an electric copy of it. Yeah. And <laughs> even though I have, I do have it on Blu-ray, but um, I, I, and I'm watching and I'm like, I'm like, is my TV broken? Like yeah, it looks it was, like it's like the lines, right? And it's all like different colors and shit. I'm like, I think the cat smashed the TV. And then like I'm like, no, no, but that's the opening song, you know? Like, yeah. But uh yeah, that's hilarious. Yeah, I I did not remember uh the intro being that long at all. Um, I'd say my favorite song of the movie is Maria, though. I love Maria just because like it's so well shot. It reminded me of uh, Vertigo, actually, Alfred yeah. Hitchcock. And and the other thing is, too, is the whole film itself, um, I thought it had Hitchcock vibes. Yeah, like, it does. Hitchcock visuals, very, like, yeah, like the cinematography was was sort of, uh, no pun intended, but Spielberg-esque and, uh, yeah. and very um, and very Hitchcock. But, and and it's funny i haven't seen the remake and i heard it's good and everything but um it's funny because watching it because i remember when i when i heard that spielberg was gonna remake it i was like what are you doing like yeah like, like what the hell like do do anything else like anything else but um but with this with this watch i was like oh my god you know what everything about this movie um is like it's it's a Spielberg movie. Like it yeah. really is. It's just like so. I absolutely understand why he would want to uh, to take a crack at remaking that. So yeah, oddly enough, it's also Michael Bay's favorite film. Uh, it's famously like a film that he's talked about as a film that actually got him into making movies. And there's actually a really good, I think, a video essay by like every frame of painting that talks about kind of Bayham and talking about kind of the filmography of Michael Bay. Um, there's actually films, I think it's actually Transformers, where there are scenes literally lifted out of West Side Story. Um, like there's a scene with like the Autobots and like the, the, the Decepticons fighting that is choreographed and shot, like just like the prologue opening scene in West Side Story going between the buildings. It's, it's, it's pretty, pretty funny. Uh, but man, the prologue sequence number in this is so fucking good. Like, and actually it's filmed in the, in the West side of town. And that's like in a specific borough that after yeah. this movie was like demolished, I think I can't remember. It's now like a major um, like shopping, like uh, retail community center now, but like that was a whole like neighborhood that was already abandoned and falling apart. And you see it when they're showing you the wide shots of the streets of like fucking broken windows. It's, it, it really adds like to the mood. I mean, you see it throughout the whole film, this neighborhood that's just constant decay and, and, you know, it's very colorful, but it's, it's, it's a very kind of rugged urban environment. Even the parks are just, there's no green space whatsoever. Um, yeah. Which makes it interesting when they do these shots, like as you mentioned, the song Maria, where they have to kind of, it's like traditional musical where it's taking you out of the moments. These two characters, you know, talking about themselves and their lives, you know, it, you know, contrasted by these like, kind of brutal, rough, rough, rough vistas. So, and that opening prologue is so good because it like, just to the use of the songs and we already kind of learn the language of the film. We see these like guys who are just like, snapping fingers and kind of hopping over each other but we're we're learning that that's actually how the film like depicts like being in a gang and violence and we're kind of learning the language of how the characters actually 
interact with each other in the film and also yeah. the hierarchies you know we have Russ Tambin as um as um as riff and you know he's a the the, the guy who played him famously was a an, an acrobat so like the scenes where he's like doing all the leaps and spins over the poles that was all you know that was all him uh, all real stuff um and, and you know it's it's so good and then we we kind of see that the sharks are a little bit outnumbered but they're a little bit more cunning you know they're they're able to kind of surprise the jets that, that's going to pay off later in the film of course learning you know there's there's more to them than than meets the eye and um just does a such good job like showing the language of the film and kind of the relationships and then kind of just descends into just total characters literally just uh, they're not even dancing anymore they're actually beating the shit out of each other until the the police come and oh god like I, if there's one big difference between romeo and juliet in this film is that the fucking police officers in this film are like racist pricks. Like I totally forgot, like, re, you know, watching this, I focus so much more on, on the cops, like Lieutenant Shrank, who's just a total prick, uh, you know, only cares about his job is like looking good. And, you know, you know, tells the kids, the jets, and the sharks to keep off the streets, but clearly is, is way more biased towards the jets. He straight up tells them like, you know, I'm on your side. Like, I hope you really give it to them at this big fight later. I'm like, this film just has like, I think only two or three actual adults in the movie, um, mm -hmm. which is kind of fun. Cause like, it's, it's just kids. And um, what's interesting, too, because I was looking up this Spielberg film is that, um, you know, rewatching this, I don't know if you had the kind of the same experience, Quinn, but like I'm looking at these guys like uh, uh, George Shakiris, who plays uh, Bernardo or even like Richard Bramer plays Tony. I'm like, wow, they look so old. Like these guys are like solidly like 30 playing like teenagers. They're actually younger than the modern Spielberg cast. These are all like early 20s kids. Like I was actually surprised uh, kind of looking into it, how young the cast actually was in this film. Like they are really just all a bunch of like early 20 somethings and that just absolutely nailed it but young yet younger than the modern version even though they look like super old i guess everyone back then just looks so goddamn old it's so funny well that's but, like uh, even yeah. even look at greece too it's like you're gonna tell me that this is like a high school dance at the end of it and it's like yeah half, <laughs> like half these guys look like they could they could be 45 years old you know like, yeah, they're like retired like uh you know like plumbers or whatever it's like yeah. all right yeah. it's like i think i had that experience when we watched uh, christine with the bully character it's like kind of got a bit of a beer gut he's got like a bit of receding hairline i don't like he looks like a dude you'd see like a deaf leopard concert he doesn't look like a yeah. fucking uh, teenager at all but uh another another one that does that too is carrie yeah like towards the end you're like you're like kid that's believable that's believable that guy's in high school get the fuck <laughs> out of here there's no way how do you yeah. do fellow teenagers yeah <laughs> yeah yeah exactly um hilarious but, but uh, yeah, i mean fuck the music of this film so good all the sequences yeah. i mean there's so many numbers it's hard for me to really pinpoint but i yeah. love uh, as you mentioned the maria song the song america you know led by rita moreno who she won uh, best supporting actress for this film probably the most famous person from this film because i think she's actually has a role in the new um uh, west side story as well too and she's had a really good successful career but that song is so funny uh Rewatching it, that was like such a like a, a treat, like seeing like these two, you know, the, the the guys and the gals talking about kind of life in America as a Puerto Rican and you know the highs and the lows. Um, the guys kind of have a point, they're, you know, they're pointing out how like you know they're, they're they've come here, the land of opportunity to like you know make something of your life, but yet they come here and they're just treated like garbage and the door slammed in their face and working shitty jobs. And it's uh it's 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 a really fun kind of uh, relationship building scene with um uh, Bernardo and and her character too, because like um. Uh, you know, showing Anita and Bernardo, it really kind of shows like, you know, they're, they're kind of sp spiteful and, you know, tit for tat, but they, they love each other. And like, it, you see the warmth they have for each other too. And it's just, um, the way it builds their relationship is just, is so good. And uh, yeah. yeah, otherwise, like, again, it's, it's Romeo and Juliet folks. So story-wise, if you know Romeo and Juliet, um, beat for beat, most of the same, a couple little differences here and there, of course, like, again, like the officer characters uh, play more of kind of a, you know, an active role a little bit and kind of antagonizing all the characters in this film. Um, but tonally, I, I felt like this movie really like it gets it gets really dark. Like, I mean, obviously, uh, Romeo and Juliet's a tragedy, but like yeah. it gets dark and it doesn't let up like it, the tone, like after that climactic scene between I guess it, we already talked about Juliet spoiler, but uh, like Bernardo and Riff have like a big tit for tat. And there's like a, you know, the characters um are killed and it causes like this just total tonal shift in the movie where it becomes this much more serious tense drama and uh you know famously the order of the songs was actually a bit different so some of the kind of later songs were supposed to happen later well they happen later in the play uh but robert weiss said like he didn't want like 
numbers coming up that really mess up the tone of the film so like he he kept all the kind of lighter numbers you know in the second act of the film after the the intermission i forgot i was watching a stream copy that had like the little intermission bumper i'm like oh i'm gonna like let's park you know pause the movie and go to the bathroom and get popcorn or something that's the one thing i miss now with modern movies is like they're so they're getting so goddamn long but old films used to have intermission so you'd watch you know 2001 uh a space odyssey and it's kind of the second scene where he sees the the monolith again and you get that boisterous loud noise and it's so powerful and even the way it's shot it's like handled camera after that it's like intermission you're like oh man i can calm down yeah go out and have a smoke I you know get popcorn. yeah yeah and talk and then kind of come back and it's like i feel like we need that more in modern movies that that's something i, I wish that was around a little yeah. bit more yeah but uh yeah, the tone of the movie gets uh, gets kind of really dark, and, and I I just love coming back to it how emotional it really was, and uh, yeah, um, any other kind of fun kind of parts of the movie that you really kind of connected with, kind of coming back to it. Well, I think um, I I liked how you said it. Like, I, I just think overall, um, speaking on on the movie as a whole, I I just think that um, like you said, it's it's a very emotional, very emotional movie, even though it is a pretty familiar. Um, story with Romeo and Juliet a lot of people have seen some type of um, rendition of the story you know Um, but um, I I just love overall how um, again the the choreography the costumes the sets the way they shot like New York uh, in 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 the early 60s I just think it was really captivating Um, and uh, you know it it's a it's a romance drama comedy musical like even technically a thriller like it's all it's all in one yeah it's all in one engulfed in one film and i think that's that's what makes um the movie so good for me and i and i i I am a sucker for for a good um a good like romance like a romantic story and everything and yeah that's why i that's why i'm and i'm a big cinematography guy so um, I love the scene when he's singing Maria, like I said, my favorite song of the movie. But I do also like that, you know, being a music fan as well, that you you get a little bit of uh, a little bit of everything, you know, across yeah. m- uh, multiple genres. And yeah, different movie. genres of music, too. Yeah. Yeah. And, man, I, I feel pretty. That song is so fucking funny. Like rewatching yeah. it, I was cracking up. It's so good. It's just well, so it, full of life. Well, it is. And it, it always it always reminds me of um, anger management, uh, right? Anger management. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the plane or whatever. Yeah. Jack Nicholson. Because because I think. Yeah. Because I seen anger management before. Yeah. Way before I saw yeah. West Side Story. And then I remember seeing West Side Story. I'm like, oh, that's where that's from. And like yeah. even my wife was like, oh, that's where this song is from. Oh, OK. I didn't realize. But it's like, you know, I, again, it's like obviously grease grease lightning k but if you hear grease lightning or like beauty school drop uh dropout or whatever like that like mm-hmm. even if you haven't seen the film you know that it's gonna be from um you know or even uh look at mary poppins with uh super califragilisticexpialidocious yeah. like if you don't even you you don't even have to see that movie you just know that that's like where it's from it's sort of like a, an established thing but um just all in all, just, just for, um, you know, I'm a big music video guy and I'm a big music guy and I'm a big film guy. So I think you get all of, and I'm a big art guy. So you get all of it in one. And I think, I think a lot of musicals, uh, what, which makes, um, West Side Story outstanding from other ones is that, um, you know, you are getting, um, you're getting fed a lot of sort of information as you watch this movie. It's like, it's not dull. It's like yeah. cool scene, cool scene. It moves quick. It's like it an hour, almost, quick. Yeah, it's like it, hour, it, hour and 40 minutes. And I was like, I was into it. Like every scene yeah. is like bang, bang, bang. Yeah. It really rolls. It really rolls. And the story is like, it, it's a good pace. Um, so yeah, that's pretty much all I have to say about um, West Side Story, but yeah and like again I, the, I feel pretty song is so great because like when you think about the characters in the film like it just it, it's a it's maria just being like i just feel like life is great i feel like fucking great and it's just all her friends be like you're literally fucking insane like it's just such a fucking funny song and like um yeah. you just feel so like li- the characters have so much life and love to them and you know really watching this again like it's it's kind of a stealth dudes rock movie because it's really also a film about masculinity i mean the jet song is about you know the idea of like what what attracts people to gangs and you know this film is focusing on 
the men versus kind of like the women characters who are kind of at home, domestic, working actual jobs, taking care of their families, and the men who are kind of off, you know, involved in these kind of spats, kind of leading the tension. And it kind of shows like why guys join gangs you know we see ice me's like you know little boy you're a man little man you're a king it's like the idea of like being in a gang you know makes you feel cool makes you feel strong whether you're the white characters the immigrants of this films the you know your mother's a pole your father's a swede but you're born here that's all that you need if you're one of those guys if you're in the in crowd or if you're in the out crowd if they're puerto ricans it's something that brings you together and, and makes you feel strong and um you know it does cause tension between kind of the guys and the girls in this film and kind of uh, how they interact with each other and you know that that song america again is also a little bit stealth to the theme of the film of like you know engaging in the cycle of violence and pain and also you know trying to make something different of yourself almost like a little bit of like pull yourself up from your bootstraps a little bit kind of entrepreneurial but i think yeah. it's kind of trying to show you kind of this cycle of violence that people kind of get sucked into that kind of becomes toxic and eats everything up and i mean that's really what the tragedy of like romeo and juliet's about of this kind of blood deep deep family feud that lasts generations that you know beyond the point of people even know why they're even engaging in it and how you know trying to just get out of that cycle it could sometimes be the people around you kind of pulling you down and keeping you in it so it's just there's so much to it and i think like uh, i mean i should also note this film when it came out probably this is like one of the most successful films up there with like psycho we've talked about because this came out 1961 uh, was the highest grossing film of the year it made on a 6.75 million budget 44 million in 1961 money so did amazingly well massive yeah. critical hit pretty much swept most of the oscars won best picture uh, best director for robert wise uh, best supporting actor and actress for i think uh, george akiris and um and uh, Rita Moreno and sound score editing costume like pretty much everything it was actually the most ever musical uh, Oscar wins for a musical and to this day again this is like one of the goats so if you've never seen any musicals and you you want to like kind of get into that genre of film uh, maybe you saw Grease and you liked it and that's when a lot of people saw or maybe you watched kind of modern stuff like Sweeney Todd or Cross the Universe the really kind of youthful trendy ones you know if you're going to check out the classics you got to check out um West Side Story, man. I, coming back to this was was just such a treat. Um, yeah. So why don't why don't we get into our our scores? Like uh, maybe we're gonna have some really critical scores. Uh, Quinn, what did you think of uh, West Side Story? Um, absolute masterpiece. Um, I like it more every time I watch it. Um, top five musicals uh, of all time. Uh, I know you mentioned Sweeney Todd. Actually, really good nod. I love that movie. I think that movie yeah. doesn't get enough credit. Um, it blew blew me away when it came out, but no, West Side Story, um, it's a true masterpiece. It's on every major list of films that you have to see. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I, there, there's, nothing, there's nothing bad that I can say about that movie at all, which is why I, I, I give it a five out of five. Um, yeah, yeah, great film. Everyone should see it. Even if you don't like musicals, I would have loved to. I'm not, I'm not really a theater guy, but I... I, I uh, I was in New York City recently and and I thought about maybe going to see a Broadway play and I didn't because I what was playing what didn't really interest me that much but oh man I'd love to see that on Broadway like you know like I know they got Jersey Boys and stuff like that but I think I'd really really like West Side Story um on on some type type of play thing just because it's like like I said you get everything um everything that you that you'd want in a movie um, but it just so happens to be a, a musical and um, the music is front to back. It's, it's very good. So yeah, five out of five for me. What about you, John? Yeah. Uh, well, and I'm glad you brought up the kind of the theater aspect. Cause actually my wife or my, yeah, my future wife, she, she saw this film um, at Stratford uh, as a play. So like watching it for her, she was actually kind of noticing kind of the set, the choices between kind of the film versus the stage and the way they they do all the sets and stuff so you know she got a really good good kick out of you know watching this film and i mean for me coming back to it again there's just so much life to this film the the cinematography is you know fantastic uh just especially that prologue number with those wide kind of shots showing the city kind of build itself and and creating this kind of labyrinthian world that you feel at home in like everything makes sense uh the colors are wonderful uh characters are color-coded to kind of match you know the themes they represent in the film and uh the way it develops its characterization is, is so good each song 
feels rich it feels like it reveals something interesting the plot it moves it along the the sound the music itself is great it's there's so many great uh, musical moments um even just the tonight the tonight reprieve like i love tonight it's probably my favorite one of my favorite songs in the film if not my favorite and that kind of reprieve uh, before the rumble is so great I, i'm a sucker for that in musicals where they have the big number where all the songs mashed up and it's it's great here uh famous film i love the performance too i know some people are a little bit critical of like uh uh, Richard Bramer's Tony. Uh, actually, famously, Elvis was considered to be the role as Tony, which would have been a wild casting choice to come back to. But uh, yeah. And even like seeing Natalie Wood as Maria, I mean, of course, she has a tragic kind of story in Hollywood history of, you know, her, her passing away very young. But like, you know, she's such a, she has such a great, beautiful, fun performance in this. Even though like their romances, it's, I was never a big Romeo and Juliet romance guy. Like, I, I don't know, folks, it wasn't my thing. But like, I think Tony and Maria have like really beautiful chemistry of the way they're shot. And, you know, that scene where they're at the dance and they see each other and it kind of just melts away everything and just the total musical motif shift it's so beautiful uh man i was getting choked at watching this like it's just so powerful and uh yeah five out of five movie for me man easy god tier uh curtis curiously didn't give it a score he said the dancing cinematography and music all hold up well but for some reason i couldn't get into it at all uh, it just bored me to tears i think there's some great latent queer readings for the dancing gang members and certainly ahead of its time how does it hold up against the Shakespeare's new film? Well, I haven't seen the Shakespeare, uh, sorry, the, the Spielberg new film. I haven't seen the Spielberg film, but um, no. I, for to its credit, I've heard it's quite good. And like, I've actually kind of spoiled myself and watched a couple of clips of it. And I was like, wow, this looks pretty good. Like the numbers, the music looks quite sharp in it. So uh, I'm surprised he couldn't get into this film because God, it's so good, man. Masterpiece. It's not boring. It's uh, I was I was really engaged by it, but uh, I don't know yeah. about the, the queer readings because I know like people always like, I just maybe it's just because like people see guys doing singing and dancing as like gang warfare. But I this movie always comes up as like kind of people make jokes about, oh, it's these guys like dancing instead of fighting. But I, I really didn't see much queer readings. So I think it's really focuses on kind of masculinity and a role in it and kind of fitting in this kind of mold. But it's actually kind of thrilling, like seeing the acrobatics and stuff. It's like it's totally powerful. And it's it's definitely tight and, and not at all like sloppy or anything. It's it's just really thrilling. Um character work in it so yeah this was a yeah. man coming back to this was such a treat i i oh, loved yeah. it it's one of my canons i actually like, i think I, I think i can get like a i'm gonna probably splurge for like a blu-ray copy like a 4k version of this because it just looks so good i gotta i gotta have it on my shelf I got, I got a i got a good copy here the seal's still on it it's actually oh, it's, nice yeah, it's pretty it's pretty cool cool, but, cool. Uh, yeah definitely one you want to you want to get and uh for those who haven't checked it out um yeah Five out of five. Check check West Side Story out. It's wicked. Pretty wicked movie. Um, yeah, so next week, um, we're going to be talking, I think, more John Carpenter. I actually watched it two, two days ago, Body Bags, this little kind of Showtime anthology film. Uh, kind of a little bit of a fun one. So um, excited to chat that one and yeah. uh, everything else we watched uh, next week. I actually think we have like a, maybe it's just the way I schedule it on our, our list, but there might be like a back-to-back John Carpenter because I think we also have In the Mouth of Madness coming up soon. So that's going to be one to watch. I've never seen that one. I might even watch that tonight. So um, I mean, I'm really excited to check that one out. You know, I love Sam Neill, you know, anything Sam Neill I'm in. So really excited to check those ones out um, coming up soon on our program. Um, anything you want to plug or mention uh, Quinn before we wrap up? I know you got to, you got to skedaddle soon. So. Yeah. Um, no, just check out my review page at seat Truck reviews. I write uh, movie reviews. I haven't in a little bit. My last review was Batman starring Robert Pattinson, but um yeah talking about what i've been adding to my watch list i'm gonna get to the vanishing that sounds really really cool cool. so i i i think that'll be worthy of a review so yeah be on the lookout for something like that um but that's pretty much it for me what about you john uh yeah nothing much on my end i guess i'll I'll plug uh domestic pints only my beer uh drinking review and should talk in podcast uh we just did an episode on uh talking our icy dry boy series so we did old milwaukee ice and we did uh, <laughs> uh molson dry and james ready 6.0 and it was actually you know some of those episodes we you know some of the episodes like oh we're gonna be drinking like seltzers how fun and sometimes we're like oh we're gonna be drinking malt liquor how fun so uh this wasn't <laughs> actually in the second camp it was more in the first camp so we had a we had a blast drinking it was pretty fun so uh yeah check that out um yeah otherwise folks uh thanks for listening again if you're on itunes actually rate and review us we never i never mentioned that but like apparently you're supposed to do that it helps us or something so you know give us five stars whatever 
if you're going to be critical, don't be too mean. <laughs> Just uh, give us good, you know, give us good buzz. We appreciate it. And uh, yeah, folks, we'll see you soon. Uh, stay tuned for next week. See you soon. Take care, everyone. Thanks, guys. Good night. Good night. Sleep well and well.